I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Sandia Sashadre. Uh, Sandia is an experienced general partner in all aspects of multifamily, uh, from broker relationships, underwriting, analysis, and raising capital. Um, you're a hands-on operator with strong focus on asset management. Um, and I like what you say here in your bio about after the honeymoon is over. We're definitely going to touch on that because I think that's an important aspect. Um, but first, Sandy, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for taking the time out to come on the podcast today. Thank you for the honor. Appreciate being here. Um, will you just start by telling us about yourself? Tell us your background and, and kind of then we'll then we'll dive into the real estate stuff. Sure. Like most Asian geeks, I was strong in math. And so I went into an uh, engineering college, got bachelor's and master's in electrical engineering and a W-2 job right after that for a Fortune 500 company here in Dallas. Um, soon after that, I um, realized that the business types of folks, marketing and salespeople were telling us, the technical engineers, what to do. And I was like, how do they make those decisions? How do I understand how they do all this analysis and pick certain projects over others? So my company was kind enough to pay for me to go to school, back to school for a part-time MBA. And that's where I got all my financial knowledge, the knowledge to play the stock market, became part of several investor clubs and got successful in the stock market. And of course, the stock market treated most of us very nicely in that time frame. So a lot of us... Uh, made money to where my investing income from that was exceeding even my salary at one point. And then when I had children, it kind of made sense for me to quit the corporate rat race and go full time as an investor in the stock market. And uh, after a while, since I was doing well in that, uh, we were trying to find a way to minimize our tax burden. And that's where I stumbled upon real estate. And every time I analyzed single family, the returns didn't seem as attractive for the amount of work I had to put into it. First signing a recourse loan and then doing the four T's, as I call it, of a landlord, the tenants, toilets, trash, and termites. It's something I didn't want to deal with for a few hundred dollars a month in cash flow. So I stayed away from single family. And when a friend told me about multifamily, I attended a weekend event and it was like, okay, this is exactly what makes sense because you're doing this at a large scale. So you avoid those hassles of a landlord and you become more of an asset manager. And that's when it made sense. And that's how I got into it, first on the passive side and then as an active general partner. So that's where I am right now. I buy cash flowing large multifamily in the Dallas Fort Worth area where I've lived now for 32 years. And this is my market. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, your your background is, uh, I think, probably well, I guess I am too, highly educated uh, in this, in the sense that, yeah. um, you know, got a lot of, got a lot of schooling prior mm -hmm. to, you know, sort of getting into real estate. But mm -hmm. I think 
certainly everybody's background kind of contributes to where they where they end up in the real estate space. Mm-hmm. And you're so you, I, I do want to touch on um, you know, hard, have talked very little about the stocks, uh, the stock market on this podcast, but I do want to touch on it because it sounds like I mean, you were able to do well enough there to sort of outperform your W-2 income. Now, when you say that, are you talking about uh, dividends? Are you talking about just actual growth within your stock portfolio or combination? What, when you refer to that, because, and the reason I asked this question, we can talk about the distinction, but it's 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 a little bit harder to cash flow the stock market than it is, at least my understanding, is harder to cash flow the stock market than it is for real estate. So um, maybe talk talk on that a little bit. I traded stocks, so I bought and sold them. There's also a portfolio that had the more safer dividend stocks uh, that also, you know, gave you quarterly dividends, which was nice. But I bought and sold a lot of stocks. At the beginning, it was more options because I didn't quite have the cash to go and buy stocks and stocks were so expensive. So I would buy options and I traded options for a long time and then got into actually purchasing shares, which I could hold longer or as short as I wanted to, et cetera. But I was an active okay. trader in the sense. Okay. Two to three hours a day, I would spend studying, analyzing, and trading stocks. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, I guess that, yeah, that that makes a little bit more sense then as far as how you were able to to mm-hmm. monetize that more quickly yeah. than, you know, if, you, mm-hmm. if you're investing in long-term in the, in the stock market. Um, mm-hmm. But you did bring up another important factor that I think people need to consider when when investing in real estate, and that is the the tax implications of it, or the the ability to um, have a tax advantaged asset mm-hmm. on the real estate side, and and maybe sort of counterbalance that with because I'm sure the taxes on on being a day trader are probably pretty high, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. using your real estate investments, you can sort of offset some of that. So. Um, would you mind just kind of talking about how you brought that all together? Because I think it's a it's something that I think a lot of people people hear about the tax advantages of real estate, but maybe don't exactly understand it, at least as as passive investors don't necessarily understand it, how that works. So on the passive investing side, where you don't play any kind of an active role, this is what we all do in the stock market. When we buy Amazon stock, we're passive in it. We hope Amazon executives make all the best decisions and make the stock make money for us. But that's exactly what we do in real estate also is passive investing, where we don't have a say in how the project is run. In those cases, and if you already have an active job, a W-2 job, your passive losses can offset your passive gains, but only within the same category. So you definitely want to be talking to your CPA about your specific situation to see what kind of ventures are going to help you in terms of strategizing and saving you on taxes. But if you're an active real estate profession, which is what I was trying to become because I had quit my W-2 job. And so if I spend only a certain number of 750 hours in a whole year doing real estate activities and doing active asset management, then I would be saving even more in taxes. And that's what my CPA told me. And that's what I ended up doing. But within a you know 365 days, it's pretty easy to come up with 750 hours if you don't have a W-2 job. Right. So right. Yeah. And it's an important distinction to make that if you the those tax advantages are are categorized differently, neither of us are CPAs. So <laughs> take that, take that uh little warning. But but it is important because um I've looked into a lot of it as at what when I had a W-2 job, it sounds like, you know, sort of you're in a similar situation it, where you can use those tax advantages. Um, it's mm-hmm. important that you're doing that correctly. So 
you you went through sort of the process in your mind that I think a lot of people do in practice in that you sort of went through what investing in single family in a residential was going to look like for you, uh, made that decision to sort of skip over that and move on to, you know, multifamily and the ability to scale. Um, I do think, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people on here that start by investing in single family and then they decide, hey, I, you know, I get to this so many numbers of doors and then they go ahead and, and switch into multifamily in, in a lot of instances. So what did that look like for you in the beginning? You said you started as a limited partner. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I joined a mentoring program after attending a weekend event because my mentor was based in Dallas, which is my market where I've lived here for 32 years. And he was well known here. So brokers respected him. And they were like more than 500 students at the event that I attended. And they all seemed like regular, normal, real people, nothing, you know, spectacular or different about them. They were just a few years ahead of me in the investing arena when it came to multifamily. So it seemed very relatable, doable, reasonable. Uh, the two-day event I attended made a lot of sense. So I signed up and that's where I got the network of people and I got to know them. There were several people who had connections in common with already. So I invested passively. And what I did was I invested first passively with the retirement money that I knew I wasn't counting on for, you know, six months of living expenses or anything like that. This is money I wasn't going to touch for at least 10 years because I'd quit my W-2. So I took pieces of that retirement money to invest passively at the beginning and to develop relationships with different sponsors and get a feel for what it's like. And I think of it as just like being a passenger first on a plane before you decide to be a pilot, you know, see what an airplane ride is like, then see if you want to be a co-pilot and then become a pilot. So that's how I went about it. First, I invested passively for a few months while I was learning all the modules about how to underwrite, analyze deals, et cetera. And then I signed on for my first deal with experienced partners who had done a lot of multifamily, a smaller multifamily, 30, 40 doors kind of multifamily out of state. And they wanted to get into Texas. And I was like, I know my Dallas market really well. I'm here and I'm available to go be boots on the ground and assist in any way. And uh, that's how that partnership got formed. And I would never have met them had it not been for the mentoring program. And so that's how I got my first deal, which was 86 doors. It was almost 7 million in purchase price. And so we did syndicate it. We raised like 2.4 million or so from passive investors, et cetera. And I think that the learning experience from partnering with people who had the experience was invaluable because as a first timer trying to get into this business and raising money from other people so you're really messing with other people's money in a way yeah. you want to be careful right you don't want to make mistakes it's not like you bought your own single family rental and tried to flip it and it took you longer well it's only your own money this involves other people's money it's large amounts of money there's a big lender like freddie mac small balance was the deal and uh, it was extremely helpful. So we did this in the second half of 2019. And then, you know, COVID struck in 2020. So the big advantage for me was that my partners weren't able to fly as often to check on the property. So I ended up doing a lot more of the boots on the ground asset management, physically showing up to the property. Well, the brains were still, you know, them. They knew what they were doing. And so I learned a lot of it. I was on every weekly property management call and did more of the hands-on stuff, meeting vendors, et cetera. So that's how I became a strong asset manager. And so now I'm a lead sponsor. I've also learned the tools of the trade. I've got broker relationships from having deals. So now I'm able to also raise capital and do all aspects of this multifamily business. So, and one thing I want to point out to listeners is that, remember, this is like my third career. 
I started like, just like everybody else, go to school, get a job and whatever you study for, start to save some money from that, learn another new skill, which is investing and trading stock. Okay, so made some money from that. So this is like my third career. So it's never too late to get started on something. Just invest in the education, figure out a way, give yourself a deadline, you know, 30, 60, 90 days. I should know everything there is to know to make a decision whether or not this is something for me to do or not. Like whether that's real estate investing, whether that's bonds, whether that's crypto, I don't know, whatever else you're investing into, right? Whatever you want to learn, give yourself a deadline, learn something and make a go, no good decision and then jump all in, right? It's never too late to start. Yeah. A couple of really fantastic points right there, because one is it's never too late to start, right? Like, I mean, we've, I've interviewed over a hundred and I don't know, getting about 170 people for this podcast now. And I would say maybe 10 of them started in real estate. Like it's, it's very common to do something else first and then kind of find your way into real estate. It's not, it's not most people are not born as a real estate investor, right? Like that's not mm-hmm. the norm. So, so yep. just because you're coming from another space, don't, that doesn't mean you can't do it. Don't discount it. Don't, mm-hmm. don't think that that's not possibility, but you said something really important that I want to repeat. Hopefully I get it close to what you said, but you said, set yourself a deadline, whether it's 30, 60, 90 days to learn everything you need to make a decision, which I mm-hmm. think is what you know, you're not going to, you're not going to learn everything you need to know about real estate investing or whatever it is you're trying to get to in that amount of time, but you should be able to know enough to decide if it's something you want to really invest further into and then go from there. Right. So it's uh, a really great point And something I think people, you know, li- <laughs> rewind and, and play that back because it, it is a really good point that, you know, you, you want to, invest in the decision but then once you've made that decision as you said go go all in and, and really mm-hmm. kind of push for it and push forward and you you talked about sort of that first deal where you it was almost like i don't know accidental asset manager in the sense that you, you were there in the location and because of covid the, the other partners couldn't travel and i think that points to another really strong point in that being boots on the ground being in the market that people might be trying to get into can be a really valuable asset just in and of itself that you've got some, there are a lot of people that are doing this long distance. I live in California. Like I don't, I don't invest in California. So there's way people are doing that from, from outside of their market, having someone there that can be eyes on the eyes on the asset boots on the ground, that that's extremely helpful. And in your case worked out to, to really helping you learn asset management at at that, you know, kind of very close up and personal level. Yes. So I did not have a construction background. I did not grow up with, you know, a handy person for a dad or doing a fix and flips kind of thing. So that's why I was afraid of single family. And that's what led me to multifamily. But now I got to work on the CapEx side of things, actually executing the business plan more. And so now I I actually know, okay, if someone gives me an estimate, I know how reasonable it is, or if I need to, you know, uh, really get at least two or three bids. So yeah. I don't get you know, ripped off by that. But that was my fear yeah. in not going into single family rentals is I wouldn't know how to repair something and I'd get that, you know, phone call for a leaky toilet to be fixed on Thanksgiving day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you you have uh, in, in multifamily, typically on these larger assets, you have 
third-party management. And so you've got, you know, sort of people that are there and able to hand those, handle those things like leaky toilets. And your job as the asset manager is to kind of guide them, guide them through what your business plan is and really be almost like a problem solver, right? It's like, oh, here, this yeah. came up. What do, we, what do you want us to do here? And, and learning what, what those bids are, what those, you know, what a bid should look like. And, and again, being local to that market, you have a very important sort of piece where you can, you can actually sit down with those contractors and, and talk to four or five of them and, and get a real sense of, of how they perform. And are they at the job site when they say they're going to be in, in all of that? So I think it is, it is maybe an understated, um, piece of the puzzle an understated asset to a team to have someone who is is right there yeah i live within 30 minutes of all my properties and one of the big advantages is that when we just take over a property and the third party property management company is also just taking over they don't have all their systems and everything set up and in place so i actually take my laptop and i literally camp out at that leasing office so that i can make quick decisions for them okay just go buy it you need a broom go buy it you need a printer just go buy it you know i could make all those quick decisions for them and that gets us you know, off to a smooth start a lot. And the other thing at a high level is that asset manager is more like a strategist and mm -hmm. yep. helping execute the business plan and monitoring the KPIs, the key performance indices, versus your property manager is your partner in doing that tactical side of executing on all of that. And then you come back and whenever there's help needed, you step in, but otherwise you let them run it, right? You let them do their job, but you monitor it closely enough, at least at the beginning to make sure your business plan is going as planned yeah. so that you can return money to investors, just like to meet and exceed your initial projections. Right. Yeah, exactly. I love that strategist is, is a great description. Um, you're also a coordinator in the sense mm -hmm. that you've got a sort of, you know, sort of be that be that liaison between the, the leasing side of things. If you're doing a value add project, the construction, kind of keeping all of that running smoothly and on track is is um, <laughs> surprisingly hands on at times. Uh, there, despite the fact that you have a partner in your property management group, there is there is a lot to be done to to decide or strategize what's going to happen and then make sure that it runs smoothly. So yeah, that that is really a great definition of what what the asset manager does. And is 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 that your your main role? You're, you're the asset manager uh, within uh, all of your deals. Um, it's definitely one of the roles I perform because when I raise money from investors, I want to be also able to have some control and see what happens till the end. So I'm always part of the asset management team. But now I definitely love to underwrite deals. I live in the market. My neighborhood, four brokers live in my neighborhood. So I also find the deals or deals find me, especially in today's market. Everything is sort of off-marketed nowadays. So I find deals. I love underwriting deals. So even if one of my partners underwrites a deal, I also want to independently underwrite it and see what we both come up with. Uh, mm -hmm. That's very important to me. And mm -hmm. raising capital is something I think all team members need to do. So speaking of teams, it's really important to identify what your strengths are. And then find partners who have strengths in what your weaknesses, so that as a team, you have complementary strengths and you are complete as a whole. So it's really nice for me being an engineering type to, again, mix with engineers, engineers, and form a team together. But it's really important to also have someone who's more of a creative director and you know has complementary skills in their toolbox compared to me, so that 
um, we really are able to come up with different viewpoints to the same project and execute with a lot of creativity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the complementary strengths thing is is so key. It's, you know, you don't want to have four people on the team that all do the same thing, right? Because mm -hmm. one, you're probably going to step on each other's toes and, and, you know, sort of get in that too many cooks in the kitchen situation. But but also that means you're, you're missing in other areas, right? Mm -hmm. there, there are a lot of key components. So it's like, if you bring a bunch of people together that are all good at the same thing, they're probably good at the same thing and therefore have similar personality types. So like mm -hmm. you might get along as friends, but it doesn't mm -hmm. always make the the same sense for, you know, as a, as a business relationship, it's good to get along, but it, it's also good to really utilize and leverage each other's strengths. Yeah. So for example, I used to be a PTA mom. I still am kind of active because I have kids and I have this stock market kind of lifestyle. So one of the things I like to do is have community activities at all, all my properties. It's not something a couple of my male, you know, partners ever think about. They're like, what do you mean community activity? Well, let's have a Halloween, uh, you know, costume yeah. contest. Let's have a cookie decorating party. Let's have popsicles by the pool. Let's do free Thanksgiving turkeys, you know. Let's have a Santa's uh, mailbox and have Santa come to the property or something like that or Easter egg hunt. What this does is when you have all these community activities, it brings everyone together. It makes people realize who's my neighbor. It also builds that camaraderie with the property management team. So that mm -hmm. during COVID, what happened was when we couldn't do all of these in-person events, we you know, uh, gave treat bags on the doors with things like sanitizer and toilet paper that were hard to find at that time. Yeah. And so it built a sense of community. So when residents weren't able to pay because they got laid off from their jobs, Instead of, you know, hiding in, inside their apartments, they came out and they told our property manager what challenges they had. And we set up a day when our property manager sat out in the courtyard, safely distanced and helped them fill out applications for rent relief. So our delinquency was actually limited to just um, not even $1,000 at one point through COVID, which really resulted in excellent numbers for our investors. And many of them got their jobs back after a few months and continued to reside at the property and our renewal rate was excellent. So you wanna keep those things in mind that ultimately when you do good for your residents who are your customers, it all comes back to you. So it's not just about the numbers and spreadsheets and making money, you're building a community. Yeah, yeah, and you, you're 100% right and it's, those are the intangibles, right? It's it's really, it's a people business. At the end of the day, it's a people business. And if you don't treat those people well and they have any reason not to pay the rent or not take care of the, the apartment or whatever it is, you're, if you're not building that goodwill, they don't care, right? It's not, it's, it's just a, a, a place to sleep to them. They don't really care about the community. But if you are building those community, um, that community feel, and you know sort of giving them as you said having these these opportunities to to interact and to um you know provide them with little gestures of of just your appreciation that that they chose your community to live in, and because they did they they, they mm -hmm. can go other places um i i do think that's that's very important aspect that is 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 often overlooked i don't uh, i don't disagree that 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 happens and you're probably right it's probably the guys that are <laughs> less focused on those things but um, I do think that it's it's something that we, we should all be uh, certainly aware of um, the the human side of the of the industry. 
again, it's just an example of having those complementary strengths and perspectives on the same deal. So you bring a different aspect and it's yeah. like, it's within our marketing budget. Even if I had to spend three or $400 this month, just to have something as simple as popsicle by the pool or something easy right. like that. It's not an expensive thing. We had national night out. We got the local public safety officers to come out, neighborhood crime watch and fire truck. That's not expensive. You just have to schedule time with them, right? right. And so um, it's amazing what return you have actually on your investment, not just the impact on the community. And people don't realize that. Yeah. Well, I, I, and you did sort of quantify it. I mean, basically, if, if you only had a delinquency of $1,000 during COVID, I, I'm sure you would be uh, hard pressed to find a lot of other people that could compare in terms of what, what their number was at, at, at that time. So it it's um, it, there's probably a lot of factors that go into it, but certainly those community building exercises must have um, a significant impact in terms of people, you know, quality tenants and, and wanting to, you know, treat this as, as their home. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I love it. I think, I think those are great, great pieces, pieces of advice. Um, as I mentioned before, you in your bio, you talk about sort of the, the honeymoon after the honeymoon uh, in, in reference to asset management. And mm-hmm. I want, I want you to tell me why you say that. Cause I, I have an idea and I, and I believe that the, that uh, I have an idea of, of why you might think this, but but I want you to tell me why why you would say that. So the beginning, when you find a new deal, it's all the excitement. It's just like being in a new relationship. You have all the hype, the excitement, and then the all the frenzy over trying to close the deal on time within sixty days, ninety days. It's all celebrated like a big wedding. You know, announcements right. are made. You yeah. know, people. You know, you're uncorking the champagne and <laughs> celebrating. Brokers are happy. Yeah. Everybody's getting paid. Well, guess what? Now you're home. The honeymoon's over. And now the reality of running a household or having kids or whatever else uh, bites you, right? That's like asset management. Now the rubber meets the road. You've actually got to go execute on all those beautiful charts that you presented to your investors. Can you really get that rent? Can you really get that other income? What kind of a delinquency situation do you have? Is they, are the units as beautiful as you had imagined them to be? Or are the repairs going to cost you a lot more? What's the lender telling you to get done? The parking lot repairs are going to cost you $20,000, not $3,000, you know, or whatever else is coming up, right? So all of that reality bites you and you've got to get it done and execute it in a timely manner. Got to build that relationship with your city inspectors, et cetera. So there's a lot of details and tedious work can be involved depending on the types of assets you manage. And a lot of it is also heavily dependent on your property management company being on board with your business plan. So it's a relationship that, you know, sometimes you have to go all, you know, in and really focus and make sure they execute. And some other times you have to step back and give them a chance to do their job as well. So that balance is something you have to figure out if you have never used that third party company before. And asset management is for the entire life, the duration of this project, you sell it. So that's three, four, five years where you had to meet those investor expectations and keep residents happy. Those are your two customers, the residents of your properties and your investors. So um, it's not as easy as it sounds. You know, a lot of people think of asset management as buying that brand new house that was built last year and you're just leasing it to this really nice family and there's no issues. Right. On the other hand, and the reality is we buy these hundred plus door apartments. A lot of them are older. And depending on how the previous landlord was, the owner was with the city, that relationship may not be as great. So you've got to start over and uh, deal with all the, I guess, the mess that you might have been left with. 
it's not always nice and clean and pretty and perfect. Yeah, no, it, you're so you're so right, and it's it, interestingly a lot of the um, a lot of the mentorship programs, a lot of what you see on social media, a lot of what makes for a good post is mm-hmm. just closed or this is our con- you know this is what we have under yep. contract that sort of That's thing. That's it. But but the reality is is in in the in the true life of a deal that's actually a very short or small component of it. The asset mm-hmm. management is for years after you close. And now mm-hmm. you have to actually put into practice what you told all of those investors you were going to do. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you run into a lot of things along the way. Um, you named a bunch of them that I, I think <laughs> resonate with me. Those are all things that that I think I've, I've seen. But it's, yeah, yeah it, the reality is, is that that's, that is really when the mm-hmm. hard work starts right? Yep. Getting, getting the, mm-hmm. the asset to, to perform the way you expect it to. And if mm-hmm. you're doing, you know, sort of a value add strategy that that's, you know, a big component of it. I suppose if you're buying new development, mm-hmm. you know, a class type multifamily, there's, there's not a lot beyond the, the leasing uh, side of it. But yeah, if you're, if you're looking at, you know, turning a 1985 property in, into, you know, looking like it's, uh, early 2000s or newer, you know, and, mm-hmm. and everything's running well, it, it does take a lot of work and attention. So um, I think it's really a, a great description. Uh, well, Sandia, let me switch gears here. I want to get to ask you uh, the questions that I ask every guest. And the first one is based on the name of the show being Know Your Why. And so what what is your why? What drives you? Um, you're obviously, you've, you've, you said you're on your third career. You're successful in three careers so what what keeps driving you forward um there's the big picture why which is ultimately because i when i came to this country i came with two suitcases and barely any money and i lived in an apartment and i went to a really nice private school because of a scholarship and i saw what that neighborhood looked like my goal is to create that neighborhood cul-de-sac feel at all my properties and so i want to be able to that's why i focus so much on building the communities but on a very selfish note, I want to leave a legacy for my son, who I don't know if he's going to be like your typical Asian geek with the GPA chasing, you know, going to a famous yeah. college, whatever, and having a job, et cetera, kind of life. Um, I don't know that he is going to be able to do that on his own. He's going to need some help. He's a little bit highly functional autistic. So I want to have a business that he can learn and more like a trade school kind of arrangement. So mm-hmm. he can learn the physical aspects of due diligence if that interests him or just the side of underwriting, et cetera. So we're exploring all of those things, but I want him to have something that he can fall back on should the whole W-2 career path not work like most traditional paths yeah. do. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's fantastic. And I think uh, he's he's got a great role model, so he should he should be good there. He'll <laughs> a lot of a lot of uh, inspiration to pick from. Um Tell us something about yourself that isn't common knowledge, a special skill, a hobby, something to let the listeners know you a little better. I love to travel. So traveling to exotic destinations is my thing and to find bargains so that I don't pay full price. So I've flown first class several times and not paid more than the cost of a coach fare. I took my family round trip to Fiji with the airline miles and free hotel stays, et cetera. I volunteer my seats on peak flights so that I get money from the airlines that I could use otherwise. And so by traveling a day later, I managed to get free flights on a future flight. So that's my thing, travel bargain hunting. 
That's pretty cool. And uh, extremely useful, I think, <laughs> especially if you're traveling yeah. with a family. You can you can spend a lot of money to take in a, a mm -hmm. family on a trip. So that's great. Yeah. And I have no problem traveling coach because I've done that several times traveling, you know, halfway around the world to India and back 22 hour coach class flights and stuff. So I don't care where what seat they give me. If it's yeah. free, I'll take it. Right. You just want so. to get there. Yep. You just want yeah. to get there. Um, when people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what, what's the best way? Um, I'm active on LinkedIn and they can also find me on my website, which is multifamily4u.com, which is multifamily number four, y-o-u.com. And we'll put that in the show notes for sure. So people have it. Um, final question you. for you, Sandia, what is the piece of advice you would give to someone who is starting out? Uh, maybe they're starting in real estate as you can take it however you want, like as they want to be active or they want to be passive. What, what, what piece of advice would you give to them? Persist. Don't give up. Give yourself a deadline. Like I said, 30 days, 60 days, get all your questions answered. So you make an informed decision to either dive in or find something else to keep you occupied. And if I could elaborate a little bit on that, um, my parents made less than $70 a month, US dollars a month in salary. And I wanted to go to college here for 10 to $20,000 a year. And even if they gave me their life savings, that wouldn't have been possible. So I had to find a way. And the only way was to get a scholarship. And that's when I actually focused on my education, made great test scores so I could get a scholarship. So if your why is big enough and you want something badly enough, you will persist and find a way. Don't give up. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, very inspirational. Um, and thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, I think this has been a great conversation. I think people have uh, really can learn a lot from you. Um, tactically as as well as just like I said inspirationally so thank you so much for taking the time out and um, coming to talk with us today thank you so much Jason all right everyone when you hear this and I know you'll like it please like rate and review um, so we can get more great guests on the show take care I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey without a strong why it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential my name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.